Thank you, Lord. I want to I wanna read a quote to you. I, I'm really into quotes. I find them. I like studying them. I like searching them out. I love a good zinger now and then. And we're talking this, this, this really this will be next month. To next week, we're going to start a whole new series. But we're talking about walking in victory. 2017 is a year of victory in your life. And victory over many things. Some will be battles. Some will be new things. Victory in your life. Just imagine your life having victory in many areas. How many know who Bill, William, William, how many know who uh, William Booth is? William Booth founded the Salvation Army, a real radical organization. I mean, now you can go downtown New London and see these buildings everywhere, but it was really a really radical, soul-winning organization filled with the Holy Spirit. Him and his wife, Catherine, ran it, and uh, William Booth said this, I consider the chief danger which confront the coming century. Well, first of all, how cool is it that you just make a statement about the coming century and anyone cares? That's pretty radical. I consider the chief danger, a century is 100 years, right? It's pretty crazy. I consider the chief danger which confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Dude, let me say that again. Some of y'all just choked on that stake. I consider the chief dangers that confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. You know, sometimes you hear these men, you know, even John Wesley, you know, I read some of his writings about the Methodist movement, and it was really, really radical back in the day. Today, please. But it was so radical then. And, and even then, these men were like, listen, if this organization ever gets on without what we created it to be, run. Like, these people were like, you know, I remember, I remember sitting with uh, uh, Carol Wimber, you know, her and her husband, John Wimber, started. John Wimber, I mean, Jack Hayford said there wasn't a figure in all of Christianity more important than John Wimber in the last 200 years. I mean, this guy planted 9,000 churches. He's brought real radical worship into the church, wrote books on power evangelism. I knew nothing about the vineyard church that most vineyards I ever saw were dead. And when I had dinner with Carol Wimber, they're like, listen, you need to read these books, man. This dude was powerful, transformational. So I read them. I was all blown up, man. Power evangelism, all this stuff. I was like, man, this is crazy. I mean, then I realized a lot of the worship that I love came from their churches. And I was like, man, so Wow. So I remember sitting down with her at lunch, and I'm like, listen, I honor you. You're a mother of faith. I mean, we took a whole tour of the Anaheim. I mean, every, I mean, think about all this. Even a lot of the major ministries like IHOP stuff today, they're all vineyard churches. I mean, the influent, Che, all the, they're all vineyard. I mean, it's crazy to think what they've done. And I sat with this woman. I said, listen, I honor you. I think you're amazing. And when I read this book, I'm changed. But I wouldn't step foot in a vineyard church. They're as dead as you can ever imagine. And this woman leaned over to me, and she said, because it's not vineyard. And she said, I, and, you know, I was with their kids, and she said, I told our children, and John told our children, if they ever get away from the thing that we've caused it to be, then just leave it, because it's not real. If it ever walks away from signs and wonders and doing the stuff and all the things, and the, then just leave. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, people are leaving. And that is just a dude that died in 93. Like, I'm not, I can tell you 100-year-old stories and you kind of go blank. 
This dude died in 93 in a movement. I'm talking to her in 2007. The book of Jude is similar. Radical, half-brother brother of Jesus. Jude saw Jesus Christ establish, really, the, 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 what I call the plumb line of Christianity. A lot of people are so stuck on denominations and what it is you are and how all these weird dividing walls and, well, I go to this and I don't really do this. and I mean, you're all just weird, man. There was one gospel and one truth and one Jesus, and it was, it was not limited by denomination or design, and it was Jesus changing our lives, the kingdom being demonstrated through us, and not limiting him on anything that he wanted to do. 30 years after Jesus uh, ascended, his brother is like, dude, this is nothing of what I saw and what I, I knew to be true. Man, I love the book of Jude. He's like, all this, and Jude is like this sandwich. It's just so hard to swallow. But it, it's like, you know, like, like on the Oreo, like I... Like, do you like the ends or the middle? Do you know, I'm more kind of like the crust guy. Like, I just, I like cookie. I like crunch. Jude is like, promise? It's only one chapter. If you ever find chapter two, then I'll preach on it for the rest of my life. Jude is like, promise? Promise? Warning. It is like an Oreo that's hard to swallow. But if there was ever a moment that I feel like it should be blasted from megaphones across this nation, it's now. So Jude, see, when I talk about the standard, there was a, um, there was a man who, uh, they were building a church project, and there was an elder in the church that was helping oversee it, and he really wanted to help. The guy had no, this is a true story, guy had no understanding on how to work with wood or carpentry or whatever, and, and he said, I just want to help. I, I know how to saw. I can just go bang. I can do whatever you need. You know, just I want to help. I want him to finally the builder was like, fine, I have something you can do. I need 100 two-by-fours that are six feet long. Very simple. Measure and cut, measure and cut. The guy was like, done. I know I can help. I want to be a part of the project. So the guy, uh, the, the main builder, he, he cuts one, measures it out. He says, boom, here, you do the same. True story. So the guy leaves, and the next guy takes the two-by-four that was cut, and he, and he uses it as a measure. He's like, he did it to six foot. So he measures it out, he marks it, and he cuts it, uh, the second one. But then he takes the second cut two-by-four, measures it up to do the third one, and, and Dylan's already hanging his head in the meeting. So this is the problem with builders. Thank God Dylan would have yelled at the guy. He takes the third one, measures it, cuts it. Then he takes the third one to measure the fourth and so on. Kid, listen to me. I don't know how this happened, but every time you're writing, you're going almost an eighth of an inch. By the time he got to 60, they were seven-foot pieces. By the time he got to 60, they were not even six-foot. The first one was six-foot. Even if he measured them all back to that one, he would have just been slightly off. What am I talking about? There's a problem in Christianity when the original six-foot board was cut that we find ourselves trying to measure back to something that's not measurable. 
when we're looking at people in your life or Christians you knew or your weird grandmother's faith, and all you keep doing is you're measuring it to something that wasn't the original measurement. You're trying to judge your relationship with God or your holiness to God or your passion for God or your heart for the things of God, and you're judging it by some other busted up cut board that man did. When our life and our standard must be the original. What did Jesus say? That's what I want to follow. What was originally not with some weird book you kept reading and you treat that bit better than the Gospel of John. Not some weirdo in the parking lot that nabbed you after a conference and just gave you a little bit of attention and now you just sold your soul to bondage. And we find ourselves in this Christian life continually cutting with the wrong measurement and we wonder why our life isn't what the Bible says it should be. And then the enemy doesn't have to do much in America today, man. It's a third world country spiritually. Listen, he don't have to do anything. You know what he has to do? Tell you that love and grace is all that matters. You don't have to do anything wrong. You can live any way you want. And that people love that stuff. There's no measurement. Whatever you want, he'll take you. And we really want you to come in our meetings, so we're not going to offend you. Nobody's being changed. Nobody's being transformed. There's more sickness, bondage, and sin that's ever. You can't preach against sin. You just need to fall in love with Jesus. He'll take care of these things. You'll give everything up if you really meet him. But religion, you'll never measure up if you're continually cutting, looking at something else. I can't stare at, and, and, and people just get in their, in, their, in their box. It's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm this, and I don't really do that. And, well, we're Baptists, or we're this, or we're the, and everybody's like, I'm content with this form of barrenness. Don't worry, we're going to start with the cookie, so I'm already jumping in the middle here. This will be good when I'm done. Like, listen, I hate the dentist too, you know what I mean? But when I leave, I want you to look at my breath. I want you to stare at my grill because I feel fresh. You're going to all feel fresh in a couple minutes. I mean, you're going to love me in a moment. Jude opens the book, and you could turn there. If you have a hard time finding Jude, go to Revelation and just turn left. It's the book right before Revelation. It's really one chapter, but it's such a powerful chapter. And Jude opens up really with two promises. Jude opens up in verse 3 and he says, Beloved, listen, I was very diligent in writing you concerning salvation, just the common salvation. I found it necessary to write you to exhort you that you would contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That you would contend, fight for the truth that God has put in front of you. That you would earnestly, listen, Judah's saying, look, God has given us a promise of truth. He's spoken it to us. He's given it to us. He's dropped a deposit of hope. Let's fight for that. You know, Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. There's some truths worth holding on to and not letting go of. They work. I promise, they may have never worked in your family. They work when when you apply them. And then the very last verse is the greatest promise, verse 24, the second to last. Now to him that is able to keep you from stumbling. Come on, how many would never like to never stumble again? 
That's a grace and a promise to you, to him that is able to keep you from stumbling, and here's the crazy thing, and to present you faultless before the presence and the glory with exceeding joy. I mean, that cannot happen in the natural. But Jude is saying, listen, fight for the faith, and then hold on for things that are true. In your life, hold on to the things that you know are true. And guess what? You're going to be presented faultless, even though you won't live faultless. It's that kind of grace and relationship that presents you spotless. Because the Bible says that he's coming back for a what? Spotless bride. Without wrinkle, without blemish. Come on, we know we all feel that one right away. Spotless. Spotless bride. And Jude shares one letter with us and says, don't cut to the first one and the second one. Make sure you're staying to the original. You know, when I got born again, I read this Bible, and man, I just wanted everything it said I could have. And I really got, became a pursuer of truth. I still am, but I know him. And I was very, I just want, I knew that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I knew that, that, that there, there's a, a real place of holiness in serving God and surrendering all. And there's a place of miracles and blessing and more important, a place of peace in your life and your marriage and your decision making. And that we didn't have to live, we didn't have to, I saw so many Christians, they say they were, but they so lived without the promise they said they were, but then put a little pressure on. And man, these people acted like they weren't even, they didn't even know the Lord. I was 18 years old. I went on a missions trip to India. I mean, I, I just had an encounter with the Father. And I got on this plane, and we showed up at this church in Jersey, host, supposed to be a Holy Spirit church, was doing all these renewal nights, and we all got around the, the church and started praying before the trip started. Man, I felt the Holy Spirit. We were praying. We were stepping into a realm of prayer. We were prophesying. Everybody's laying hands on each other. I was like, man, we don't even need a plane. We're just going to fly right to India. I felt so good. Get two hours on the flight. I was like, what did I just do? I felt like I was on the plane with, like, the Satanist club. You follow what I'm saying? People were backbiting and gossiping and bickering and yelling, and I heard a curse word. Friends, I almost lost my salvation here in these F-bombs. I couldn't believe that people acted this way on a missions trip. And I sat on this plane and said, what just happened to the, that in there? Because you don't sustain that with this. And when we got to the ground, it was even crazier. People are bickering and fighting and quarreling, and I was just like, no. You know what I mean? It was kind of like when I was a kid and somebody was like, yeah, you think a fat guy in a red suit is putting some presents under your tree? And I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe I was like, no. It was like that same feeling when I realized that Christians didn't live pure. It was like, oh, y'all are just a letdown. And then it makes sense why we have so many people that live incomplete. And they don't, they're so unfulfilled. I had a beautiful person I love. You know, we have ministers all the time reaching out to us. And someone said, I can't even tell anybody but you. But I'm in a room full of people and I'm preaching to multitudes and I just am so alone. 
And I said, no, you're not. There's a difference between being alone and lonely. But that loneliness, we better attack that by the word of God. Because it's only going to lead to depression. And some of y'all ladies are such feelers that you fall right into a ditch. And so we nipped it right in the bud. And we said, you reach out to us when these things happen. Because we don't need to live broken lives. And we, we serve God. We serve a standard that has been set. We will not, we will not be perfect. And everybody's going to need encouragement. And everybody's going to need to overcome these thoughts and to, to live right. But, man, you know, somebody said to me one time, they said, you know, it's so hard, the standard that, we pre- that I preach. Because they're like, it's just so much easier when I didn't even know it. And I could just, you know, just live. You know, they were like, I, years ago, I just lived. And whatever happened was God's will. Good or bad, it was just God's will. And I just, and they were like, sometimes, it's, yeah, it's hard to fight for victory. It's hard to stand for truth. But you know what's even harder? Living that way. The Bible says the way of a transgressor is hard. I don't care how sexy they make their Facebook posts look. If they're not serving God, they're as empty and depressed and horrific as as they come. You cannot have true peace without Christ. You cannot have real freedom without the Holy Spirit. It does not exist. Everything else is a fake, vain attempt. And unfortunately, a lot of people buy into it. It's not going to happen. It's not going to last. I'm telling you right now, it's not real. I'm talking about real life. I'm talking about you and your family and your struggles and raising your kids and your grandkids and your marriage and maybe finding a spouse or whatever season you are in life. You, we, we don't need to walk through this life with that. We can overcome and we can be victorious. And Jude warns us. He said, listen, man, I, I see this Christianity that is formed on the earth and I, I want to stay in victory. I don't want to go back. We can't compare boards to a prior generation of commitment. We can't compare two by fours with people that never received the promise. I remember I was in Italy doing ministry, and I I was walking the streets late at night just because I remember I was praying. And the pastor was like, we don't really evangelize here. And I'm like, well, you do now. And they're like, well, people aren't really receptive. I'm like, well, we do now. And I remember I was praying in his house, and the Lord just spoke to me so clearly. There's a, there's a boy here. Here's what his name is. Here's what he looks like. I saw the word, like, uh, amen, like A-M-E-N. I just kept seeing over and over again. I said, you know what? This is years and years ago. I said, I know this thing by now. We're going to go out and pray for this guy. So we start walking the streets. The guy's all nervous, you know. He's just like we were in Treviso, Italy. And we're, it's late at night, and we're walking the streets. And, and all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, we pass the Catholic Church, one of. I mean, they're like massive. You think this is big. I mean, these things are like malls. And on the steps, the doors are closed, and all these young people are there. So I come walking. I clearly don't look like I fit in. I mean, these tight, skinny jean euros. I mean, it just wasn't me. Jeremiah might have felt like they wanted a latte. You know what I mean? They look at me. They're like, and I have tattoos everywhere. But they immediately start running up to me. And, I'm, and they're like, they're just talking really fast in their weird accent. And I'm like, I'm telling the pastor, this is awkward. What are they saying? And he's like, they want to know, do you have any heroin? <laughs> do you have cocaine? Do you have anything? I was like, do I look that bad? And so I just, I was like, well, no, but, you know, let's talk to these kids. 
And I'm like, what are you sitting on the porch for? What are you even doing? Does this church mean anything to you? What religion are you? I'm just talking to the kids. And they're all like, you know, one kid was like, I just walked in the door one morning. Young person. I walked in the door one night, and they asked me, am I a Catholic? And I said, no, my family was Muslim. And they said, you can't come in this church. Get out. And so he's like, I'm not welcoming any of these buildings. And another kid said, same thing. I wasn't confirmed or whatever, whatever 10 years old or whatever weird thing they do. And he's like, they won't let me in the building either. And I'm like, what? And the pastor was telling me that they have a huge deficit. I mean, listen, my whole family is Italian and Catholic, so I'm not attacking them. But I'm telling you facts. Don't be ignorant. The Catholic Church in Italy cannot, they don't know what to do. All these old people are dying off as priests, and they can't find anybody young to do it again. You see, there comes a moment where a prior generation goes, why would I ever want to serve that? It hasn't set you free. Why am I going to give myself to be a priest or give myself to the cloth when you're bound and you're a mess? And they can't even recruit young people because young people are smarter than that. But in the church, for some reason, we keep comparing, and and instead of waking up and saying, this doesn't work for you, I'm going to find truth. We just kind of blatantly go through, and then the blind leads the blind, and both fall into a ditch. By the way, it was crazy that that we did find a a guy's name, Amir, A-M-E-N, was in the meeting, was one of the kids in the group. He was a soccer player. God healed him. I invited all of them to my, my meeting. And they all sat on the front row. They couldn't even believe that I was a preacher, number one. Then they couldn't believe that I would ever invite them to the meeting. So I said, all of you come. You can all sit in the front row as my honored guest. You know, I had reserved. Like, like they were so important. Because I thought, man, if the other church is going to kick them out, I'm going to let them know that Jesus ain't kicking anybody out. So they come to the meeting. It was a Saturday. It was Sunday at like 2 p.m. I preached the meeting. All of them give their heart to the Lord. And I'll never forget. Packed. I mean, it was like this side's room, but just stuffed. And everybody wanted to know if you can go to heaven and have tattoos. It was so horrible. I was like, guys, can we talk about something else? So everybody is stacked to the back. And, uh, and as I'm ministering, there was a young guy back there. He heard the worship and the preaching. Long hair, kind of looked like a crazy, you know, sketchy dude. And he's just sitting in the back with his head hung. It's never happened to me before. As I look at him, I don't know what I'm telling you. I'm just telling you the story. As I looked at him, I saw, no lie, man, I don't see this stuff all the time. It was like an angel standing behind that kid. And each arm of the angel was an instrument, like a keyboard, a guitar. It was like, I couldn't believe it. So I'm like, really? So I, I told, I stopped everything. I said, tell this kid to lift his head. And he, I mean, I'll never forget his long hair. He kind of looked like a grunge, you know, like he was straight from Nirvana or something, you know. And, I'm, and I tell him what I saw. And the dude just starts, I mean, bawling like, I mean, wailing like he just lost a life. And I'm like, bring the kid up here. You know, and you know this was the Lord. So I hugged this kid. Friends, you had to be the Holy Spirit. I'm hugging this kid, and, and he just falls on the floor, and he stands up, and he said, I have to tell you what happened. I can't, you can't make this up. This dude tells me he was one of the lead worship leaders for Hillsong United. And he, he fell into drugs, and they kicked him out. And he just wanted to go somewhere where nobody would know who he is. And he could just hide in the streets, and he was, like, giving his life over to the enemy. And, and this dude, I mean, major guy. Like, you still listen to the CDs, and this dude was a mess. And he said when he heard me preaching in English, he said something convicted him to come in. 
And then I had the word, dude, the guy gets totally set free. No lie. We, I take the kid and I'm like, let's do an outreach tomorrow with you. I'm like, you know what to do, bro. I'm like, I'll get you, let's get some of your songs. And dude, the guy goes into the park the next day because he's still anointed. Do you understand me? You just judge him, but God loves the kid. Let me tell you something. He repented, God's life clean. That, I never seen anything like it. His crowd was twice the size of mine. We put him in the park. He starts leading worship. The heaven fell. I mean, young people. He's crying on every song, you know? And, and, and I mean, we just saw, we did, basically just did a crusade. And he's still in Italy, and he just started a whole worship church. And, I mean, it's just amazing, you know? I mean, who would ever thought? But, but here's, a, here's a big contrast, you know? These, these young people that got saved, the churches didn't want them, so they don't want to serve that. But then you show them the standard. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter what you're struggling with, where, how far you are. God wants you in his kingdom, and his love is for you. And you share that, and these kids just get completely surrendered. And something happens, you know, Jude was saying, listen, we've come so far off. Basically, the doors are closed. Basically, we're manipulating truth and people are giving into their own lusts and their own desires. And he's like, this is not the, the gospel that Jesus died for. I know it's one chapter. You got to read it one time in its entirety. It won't take too long. And Jude begins to tell them. In verse 3, he said, we're going to have to fight. we got to exhort and contend earnestly the faith that was once called to us, for certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lewdness and to deny only the Lord God and the Lord Jesus. Man, if this ain't so prophetic right now, what is? We're not relevant, friends, if we're, if we're mirroring the world around us. We're relevant if we're modeling who they want to become. Relevance is showing what it looks like when Christ can set a life free at your job and your workplace and your schools or whatever community you're involved in. Verse 5, Jude goes at it. I want to remind you, though, you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved all the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who didn't believe. The angels didn't even keep their proper domain, but they left their own abode. He has reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great days, referring to the book of Enoch, Enoch which has kind of made this a controversial book. I love it. Versus Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them of similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, and they're set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. He's talking about faith believers that are not. He's warning you that this is what this is not what the standard was. That victory comes with right living and right thinking. But if we somehow measure the board at what somebody else is doing and find out just how, you know, how much can I get away with in Christianity to make a mark, and then we wonder why it doesn't equal what we think it should. If we don't think right, we don't live right. If our thoughts aren't pure, then nothing will be. I promise you this. The Bible says as a man or woman thinks, what? So you are. But denominations preserve to seek and protect mindsets. We've got to protect the original gospel. In verse 9, it was so bad that the archangel Michael 
contended with the devil. He disputed the body and masses, dared not to bring against the revealing accusation. But he said this, the Lord rebuke you. Oh, I love that. You know what that means? It's not my standard, it's his. It's not my way, it's his. It's not my offense, it's his. Archangel Michael isn't rebuking you. It's the Lord because he set the parameters to live by. Does this make sense? See, what the world wants you to think is, oh, that's bondage. No, are you kidding me? Bondage? It's not bondage. To love my wife in the the protection of marriage isn't bondage. Just because I can sleep with anything that moves doesn't mean that's freedom. Let me tell you, it's bondage. But the enemy wants to take something that seems free and try to make it twisted and something that might seem and make it. No, no, no. You've mistaken. That's what lewdness in, in, in sin is all about. But if we're, if we're asking our flesh what do we want, then you're asking the wrong question. We look at the standard that has been set and we say, you know what? In those parameters is a great life. In the, it's, not, it's not pain. Sometimes we fall short. But in this setup, I know I'm free. Because I'm not bound by the things that this side brings me. I'm not under the oppression and the anger and the guilt and the shame. and all. No, not at all. Yes, there's, there's a little bit of uh, conviction on this side. I welcome that every day of my life. I want to be as close to God as I can be. I fall short. I want to keep going. I want to grow in my life. with the, It's freedom. But somehow, man, these lines got so fuzzy in America. And you got preachers scared to talk truth, and you got people scared to believe it, and everybody's all twisted. I don't care if it's just me, I'm not walking away from the truth. And I get you're in New England, it's the least churched area in the whole nation, and it's not even close. But it's going to change. And it's not going to change if we water down our message, put some smoke in here, put a couple billboards up, and make you think I'm something I'm not. That doesn't change anything. What changes it is one changed life at a time. As I see some of you this morning, and I see God just, it's so new for you, and you're loving God and trusting God. I'm telling you, God's proud of you, and so am I. There's no standard. You just go for it. You believe, and if you fall short, you get up, and we help you. There's nothing to do with that. But those of you that know better, listen, judgment comes on those that are more wise. Everybody's angry because lost people act lost. That doesn't shock me. What shocks me when you act lost or you try to manipulate doctrine to make yourself feel better. That is, that's ridiculous. I want healthy living, man. I want freedom in Christ. And like Jude said, I hear that warning of, man, let's get back. Let's get back so we can be blameless. Let's get back so we can fight and hold on to the truth that we know is going to set us free. This thing works, man. I'll tell you right now the thing works. Some of you get hurt. You might hurt your back. You might whatever. You know, last year this time was very difficult. Never had a back problem. I don't have a back problem. But I was shoveling, and I, I'm never, I was sitting down on the toilet straight up. I got up, and it was done. I couldn't move. I, I just shoveled wrong. And the minute I went, I rarely go to the doctor, and I'm like, this ain't working, dude. I mean, I can't even breathe. If I pee, I feel like I'm slipping discs. Do you understand? And the doctor is like, all right, here, this, this, and this. And, and you know, you get in the car, and you're like looking at the bottle for dear life. You're like, okay, how many hours to this? Can I start taking this down? And, and it's even worse because I got friends all around the country. So I know all these physicians. And, and, you know, so I just call these people. Just what are the interactions here? Let me kind of just throw all this in my throat because I'm in this much pain. And some of you take your medicine so religiously. But we don't understand that the gospel is a set of medicine that if we follow that, it always works. 
But we'll hold on to a pill and be like, oh, man, every four, count the hours. I have one now. Let me write it down because I need another one. But we don't realize that the Bible's filled with that. If you do this, this is going to happen in your life. If you trust, this will happen in your life. Bypass your feelings. Take this gospel, and this will happen in your life. And we've got to hold on to the truth that God has set before us so we can truly have victory and freedom. He said, the Lord rebuke you. It's God's standards. Contrary to what you might think, hell isn't the capital city of the devil. The truth is, it's a place of eternal judgment, and he's not even there yet. Because it hadn't been fully established. It's a concept that matters, but you don't. In verse 11, he says, the Lord rebuke you, but they speak evil of whatever you do. Verse 10, not knowing whatever they know naturally, a brute beast, these things corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, who run greedily in the air of Balaam, and perish in the rebellion of Korah. Something like that, you just kind of glance over. Man, I look at that as like an invitation to dig. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, well what does this mean? Why is it here? Balaam was a prophet, right? He would charge money. That's a curse. The gifts on your life will bring upon the blessing of the Lord, but when you use it for your own gain, it's going to bring judgment. And today we live in a Christianity where everybody's trying to get a little for themselves. How can I get a little more attention? How can I get a little more money? How can I get a little more fame? How can, you know, I, I somehow let everyone know who I am. Friends that run away from that. Rebellion of Korah. Korah was a powerful dude, man. Powerful. Probably a better speaker and leader than Moses. And Korah lived in Moses' day, and you know that whole story with Aaron. The people wanted Korah, though. Do you understand this? He was the most popular consensus, he's the one everybody wanted. And he would say things like, God is with all of us. Rebellion hides behind misapplied truth. Moses and Aaron were appointed and anointed, but Korah was telling people what they wanted to hear to somehow get them off course. Oh, we're all, don't listen to them. We all, God understands all of us. Is that true? Yes. Is it misapplied in rebellion? Yes. If we don't have discernment, we're going to fall into those mindsets. They hated Moses because they wanted Korah so bad. But Korah was breeding discourse. And you know what happened to Korah? The, the earth opened up and swallowed him. I'm going to just go ahead on the record. If the earth ever swallows any of you, I'm just going to judge you that you were a mess. I'm just going to just throw it out there now. I'm just, oh man, that person just got swallowed up by the earth. Dang, you know, they were insane. I'm just going to, it's probably wrong. I'm just going to judge you and I'm going to talk about you and I'm going to preach against you. Let the earth swallow this mug up. You're done. And if it swallows me up, my Lord, Run. The earth opened up and swallowed Korah, and then the same people that wanted Korah started blaming Moses. People are so ridiculous. They're blaming Moses that he got swallowed up. What? You don't think it was the rebellion he was preaching to you? In verse 16, 
these people that we have to be not like. They're grumblers and complainers. Now I'm just going to side note. If I had to write a list of things that God hates, I would probably say murderers, rapists, really bad people. I wouldn't start with grumblers and complainers. Woo-wee! Some of y'all ladies need to tame the tongue up in here. Grumblers and complainers are what they start with. That is just humbling to me. That makes me need to get right. You know what I mean? Grumblers and complainers are at the top of the list of people that are not living right. Grumblers and complainers walking according to their own lusts and they mouth great swelling words flattering people to gain advantage. Here's the difference between flattery and honor. Honor is honoring you with no strings attached, no gain for myself. I just love you and honor you and I bless you. Flattery is false honor to get it back. When I'm telling you something because I want you to say something back or I have a manipulative folk, that is, that's, that's horrible. In verse 20, 21, and we're going to pray here this morning. But you, beloved, this is what we are called to do. Build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ in eternal life. And have compassion on some, making a distinction. And that's beautiful. I remember one time I was in a prayer meeting. I was a young person. And we were praying. Just praying. You know, sometimes you pray, you feel like it's just you. And then there's a moment. When it says praying in the Holy Spirit, it's not just talking about tongues. I need y'all to come a little further. I remember we were in a youth group and we started praying. Actually, it was Rick. I don't think he's here, but it was Rick. And he just starts praying. And he just starts praying. And I'm agreeing. It was a little just normal, a little natural. And then he starts praying a little more. And then I was like, whoa. Then he starts praying more. Then the dudes, it's Rick, right? So it's like when he starts screaming in a microphone, it like has to be God, right? And he just starts screaming and praying. And it, it was like we stepped out of ourselves and we stepped into God's prayer. Has that ever happened to you? Where you're praying and it just seems like you're praying and then all of a sudden you switch and everything changes. It's like you know that whatever you're saying is going to happen because you shift in a moment and then you start praying. You're like, whoa, we're on the same page. We just hit unity. Pray. Pray in the spirit. Pray until you break through to his heart. Pray his word. Pray the things that are not on your heart but his. I encourage you to do this and receive love we must embrace God's presence we must embrace a life of the presence of God it's the only thing that will sustain us in the days ahead dead religion is not going to do anything for anybody it's going to cause more bondage than good but life in Jesus in the standard that he set because I find myself reading Jude and like Jude I'm going my God we've got to fight for truth We've got to fight for healing in your families. We've got to believe for breakthrough. We've got to hold fast to what we know is true and not let go. And you know what? Let me encourage some of you. Forgive. Forgive. Be easily forgiven. Don't hold on to things. 
The enemy is so good trying to get you to take the bait. This person hurts you. This person, just forgive. I mean, just honestly, wipe your hands and just don't even look at Every time somebody hurts you or offends you or comes in, man, you just laugh it off. Satan, I'm not going to fall for that. Nothing can hurt you more than unforgiveness, man, and bitterness. Forgiveness is forgiving someone. I remember, you know, when I found out my, that my real dad was a murderer and a monster, smashed my wife's, my, my wife, never, my mother's face, sliced her knuckles, did all these bad things, tried to kill, stab someone in the face on Bank Street. Somebody shot at him. He killed people, and he was this just monster of a man. And I remember, I was so eager to see him. I saw him for like one hour in my life, and I hated every minute of it. And I fled Jacksonville uh, when it happened. And he's dead now. I mean, he died when I was preaching on TV, as a matter of fact. But the Lord said, forgiveness is forgiving him if he never comes and asks you for it. He'll never come back and say sorry. He'll never say, I was wrong. But you forgive him as if he did. See, forgiveness isn't about them. It's about unlocking you to be able to live right and say, you know what? I bless you. You've hurt me. You've cursed us. You've valid reasons that I'm hurt. But you know what? I, I forgive you. Trust, please. A whole nother thing. Don't ever trust those people. But you have to live and forgive and just, come on, man. Some of y'all have been hurt by preachers and leaders. You got to let it go, man. You've been hurt by other dead Christians in a church body. Man, that has no reflection on Jesus. The love and life in you can just overcome everything that's even in their life, man. Let's stand. We're going to pray. I really believe this is a year you're going to be in victory. I want you to read the book of Jude, and I want you to pray with me that we're going to see God's kingdom established on this earth as it is in heaven. You know, I don't believe it's accident. I'm not overly in the news, but I don't believe it's accident. There's so much development going on around these regions. So much money, millions, millions and millions. They're trying to dump into downtown, into Groton, the casinos. All these things you see, it's ridiculous. It's all going to pull people here, but guess what? They need the love of God. They need the touch of God. I see God's hand on this area that has been long forgotten in the country. And all of a sudden, man, all these people are coming in the area. I think 4,000 electric boats. They're talking today about the new, the Groton New London Airport creating 7,900 jobs. Let me tell you something. That's huge. When there's 20,000 in each of Groton and there's less than 30,000 here, that's big when that happens. And I'm saying, God, put your presence in this region. Raise up a body of believers that will absolutely demonstrate the love of God. That will show what an authentic Christian life is. I'm telling you, that's why this is happening. We are not here by accident. God is going to use you powerfully in the days ahead. You pray for the businesses in this region. I see a, a spiritual revival coming. For, I mean, I believe for the economic, but I'm saying I see a spiritual one. And there's no, absolutely no uh, accidents. You with me? That boatyard in EB, my mother worked there 42 years. Friends, I'm only 37. My mother was there 42 years slaving away. And, and up until recently, the greatest days were behind us for electric boat. Are you with me? And now you, oh, what does it even look like? You know what I see? The dead, dusted, cold ovens of, of religion getting plugged in again in this region. 
God beginning to turn these ovens on and serving fresh bread like it did 200 years ago here. It is stirring my heart. Really, who cares? The Groton New London Airport. And some of the, some of the men of God that have preached here, you just fly there. Rick Joyner is about to fly his plane into Groton. Man, come on then. Put money into that thing. Fly your planes in here. Let's use these oceans. And come, you got to think big. And it starts with your life being transformed, loving people. Come on now. Seeing God transform us to the authentic Christian life. Not some man-made, jacked-up doctrine. Not some dead religion that your grandmother was bound to. But authentic Christian life. Come on. God, what does your word say? I want to live to that standard. How do I love? Come on. I want to pray in the Holy Ghost. I want to pray along with your heart, God. I want to love people that are unlovely. I want to believe that my family can be shaken again. And that's possible when we live right and we think right. Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. God, I thank you that I'm standing before people that are going to be victorious this year. God, I thank you that you've set a standard before us that we're to live. I thank you that I sense breakthrough. I sense power being released. I thank you for families being transformed. God, let this be a year that our children, our grandchildren step into full victory. God, let this be the year that we step into a realm with you, with your purposes and with your plans. I thank you for restoration. Come on, those in this room that may not even know who you are, Father, encounter them again. God, with that pulling on their heart, let them give everything to who you are. Jesus, I thank you that without you, there is no freedom, there is no peace, there is no joy, and we only find it in you. Father, we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Can live without Come on. Your presence. We can't live without Come on, just lift your hands and declare before we go. Come on, over your family, over your life, over your job. Come on. Over your sickness. Come on, over your spouse, over your children. thank you for freedom. God, I pray this week we would be more sensitive to your voice than ever before. I pray that in every situation, every decision that we have to make, we stop and think about you. 
Lord, guide us and govern us everywhere we go, everywhere we work, everywhere we place our feet, schools, not in schools, grocery stores, malls. Lord, I pray for divine appointments for share your love. God, let us live presence focused. God, let us live. Let our conscience be focused on you. Make us more aware of your presence in Jesus' name. Make us more aware this week of your presence. God, we thank you for the victory that you've already given us that we can walk in in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Were you blessed this morning? Amen.